You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department at RCH. Anyone who has a job will have gone through some sort of job application and interview process. The application process can be quite cutthroat with the application cover letter or CV being the difference between progressing to an interview or being completely looked over. So what do you put in an application and how do you make it stand out above the hundreds of other applications? Well, today I'm speaking with Abby Gordon and Claudia Bariga. Abby is the statewide coordinator of the Victorian Basic Paediatric Training Consortium, and Claudia is currently the nurse educator for the RCH graduate nurses. And between them, they have reviewed thousands of job applications and, dare I say it, have a pretty good idea of what makes a good application. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. So, Abby, let's just start with you. A good place to start is where you can find these positions, and there's quite a difference in the medical side of it depending upon how far along you are in your training. Can you just outline how to find this information? Sure. So here in Victoria, the best thing for health professionals to do, um, uh, specifically medical professionals, is to check the individual health service websites. I'd recommend everyone sign up to receive notifications so that you don't have to be looking on the website every single day, but the website can tell you when new jobs are advertised. Yes, and this will be the same for all health professionals. Seek is also a good place to look if you know the job that you're looking for. Uh, What about LinkedIn, though? I often see a lot of jobs come up on there. I agree with Abby um, just about the individual health service. I think it's really important to register depending on where you want to go, and that way that provides you with alerts for that organisation. Registering for the organisation you're aspiring to work with, if if that's, that's your goal, then you should be registering them really early on. And it allows you to be in the loop of what's within the scope, your own scope and ability. What about if you if you don't really know the job that you're after, though? Because I know that, like, so things like Seek and 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 even LinkedIn to to an extent will kind of give you options based on what your interests are and stuff like that. Unless you actually really know what job you're actually going for, it's really hard to kind of find anything. So, what what do you think about that? That's the brilliance of registering on the recruitment sites on each of the health services. You literally can tick a box to tell the website what you would like to hear about and keep it broad. If you're not sure um, you're looking for something administrative, depending on what clinical area you're in, um, general area of interest, just tick them all and let all those alerts come through to you. And then over time, you'll get a good idea of what you're attracted to, what your skill base um, aligns with and what you like the look of. Yeah. We have talked a little bit about the use of social media and and finding jobs and stuff like that on a previous podcast as well. So for many healthcare jobs, a lot of them use the PMCV, which is the Postgraduate Medical Council of Victoria. And for those who don't know, this is often a matching system whereby the applicant ranks their preferred hospitals and the hospitals rank their preferred candidates and then it all spits it out and matches it all in one hit. And I know this is used by a lot of allied health professionals for new graduates and I know some nursing do as well and of course it does in, in medical as well. Yeah, Steve, look, as as we're currently speaking, we're halfway through our recruitment process. So PMCV is, they, they need to register through that as well as our own website. Uh, we do be, give very clear instruction on how to do that. 
but they do have to register through PMCV to actually become eligible to apply through us. And there are very strict instructions. So often if we have any sort of questions coming through, we'll direct them through PMCV. Okay. And as well with interstate too. Yes, there are strict instructions to follow uh, for interstate applicants, but it means that they can also apply. I'm also currently reviewing my 2023 fourth year placement applications for medical imaging, and it's very hard work at the moment. There's quite a lot of applications out there too. Uh, And so what about medical, Abby? PMCV is not just confined to new graduates, is it? True. Um, So the PMCV runs a lot of matches for medical professionals at a lot of different training levels. So you really have to know what type of training program you want to get into to then see what type of match the PMCV are running. They don't cover all training though. So for example, if you'd like to become a pediatrician, you don't go through the match. Mm -hmm. You go through the Royal Children's Hospital or Monash Hospital to find an accredited position. The PMCV does have a lot of matches open for uh, medicine, but doesn't quite cover every specialty. Okay. Also, junior doctors who are accepted into a training program will generally be guided through the job application process by their governing body because they really need to be working in an appropriately accredited job to meet their training requirements. And by these governing bodies, you're talking about their respective colleges, so like the College of Physicians or College of Pediatrics or something, right? That's right. Yep. They'll sign up to their relevant college um, to become a trainee and they'll sign up to a health service to become an employee. And what about nursing, Claudia? Is there anything different to what Abby's suggested? Every year our website is updated when, as soon as applications open. This year we also included our RCH and Instagram page so to alert our potential candidates that it was open. And, um, you know, it is our biggest recruitment drive for nursing yearly. So we take it seriously and we do do quite a lot of advertising for it. And how many numbers are we talking, Claudia? Are we talking 100, 600, 1,000? <laughs> Look, at this stage, we're looking to take approximately 90 graduates next year, and that means that we're interviewing up to 300. Wow. And how many applications do you get? About 462. So rather impressive considering the current demand for nursing. Um, and also the fact that a lot of our nurses haven't met their registration requirements due to in- insufficient placement hours. Other than Instagram and and all that kind of stuff, how do you also give a bit of information about your organisation? So we hold an annual webinar for all prospective candidates and this provides a really intensive information session on our application process specifically. Um, And we also do university visits. So whether they're face-to-face or virtual, uh, we put ourselves out there to say we're happy to come and speak to your candidates. This year's webinar, we're able to take Uh, questions live and answer them appropriately. Interestingly, one of those first questions were, what makes my application stand out? Oh, great. And it was, please read the instructions. Yeah. And next year it'll be, please listen to this podcast. Yes, correct. (laughs) Um, We we also do the same. And I really like these types of information sessions as well, because I think it can actually change someone's perception about whether they want to apply to your organisation or not. So let's move on to the cover letter now. Uh, What's the best way to set this out, Abby? My advice would be, number one, read the advertisement and read the position description more than once. You need to read it a few times so that you know what they're actually asking you for. That generally helps set up any expectations around the instructions on who to address your application to and what they'd actually like to see from you. And also when the submission dates are and their times as well. Very important. Instead of sending it just outside the time. Yep. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than an email. Sorry I missed the deadline, but, because yep. <laughs> it's generally a no. And general advice, um, address your application to the contact person listed on that job advertisement. It's not always super clear, though, so if you can't 
quite tell. They haven't been really clear on who they'd like you to address it to. Just keep it really generic with a to whom it may concern or or something polite like that. Yeah. Okay. And I'll add one in there myself. It's obvious that on most occasions, most people will be applying to different hospitals and there'll be a lot of cutting and pasting that's going on. And that's fine because obviously, you know, you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel every single time, but please make sure that your cover letter is addressed to the right person. So for example, if you're applying to the children's hospital, make sure it doesn't say, dear Mr. Smith, I would love to come and work at Western Health. It sounds like something that people would think, surely no one makes that mistake, but trust me, I've seen it happen at least 50 times in the last 10 years. And actually in the last week, I've seen it happen about three or four times. (laughs) Absolutely. Could not agree more. It's a super simple mistake to make. And as you say, with the way that the health services are set up here in Victoria, we understand that people are applying at multiple health services, but we don't really want to know who else you're applying to. We just want to know that you love the look of RCH and that you'd like to come here, basically. You kind of want to just think... (laughs) They're just applying to me and that's it. That's yep. how much they really want to work yep. here. Yeah, absolutely. Like any relationship, the one and only. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Again, you know, in terms of reading the advertisement really carefully, uh, that hopefully will help you avoid any of those errors. For example, here at the Children's Hospital, their recruitment team ask all of the junior resident applicants to answer three specific questions within their cover letter. And they've got a 700 word limit. So that's very, very specific. You can very easily tell by glancing at a cover letter. Someone's paid attention to that and they've actually responded um, how the recruitment team are requesting. Yeah, okay. And and some other jobs in allied health also have key selection criteria, but it's always important to understand exactly what the requirements are for the application. Um, this could be the difference between getting an interview and not getting an interview, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd suggest only address the key selection criteria in detail if the job advertisement asks for it, because key selection criteria can take you, th- you know, two, three, four pages worth mm. of work to do. Um, and there may be other areas that you can address that in, um, like your cover letter. If you touch on the key selection criteria by using similar te- uh, terminology throughout your cover letter, um, you know, for example, if they're asking for someone with expert knowledge in ABC, give them an example of how you've got expert knowledge in ABC so that they can see the direct link between you and that particular role. Mm-hmm. This is going back to the position description as well, Abby. I'm just thinking I'm very old school and I often give career advice about applications and I do say get the highlighter out and really highlight what they want, you know, that in, in particular that A, B, C and D and then ensure that you've actually put that in the application process. For our graduate nurses, for instance, we actually ask for not for an application letter um, but very similar to the questions, we solely ask for the questions. So we make that very clear in the webinar and on our website that that's, that entails the application. So if candidates actually do submit an application letter and don't uh, address the questions that we've asked of them, it becomes um, nil and void, unfortunately. So we try and make that very clear. It sounds very brutal, but also fair at the same time. Yes. <laughs> uh, and for the cover letters, what else should an applicant consider? I would suggest um, keeping your cover letter to a maximum of one page. Mm. Um as you say, recruiters are often looking through pages and pages and pages worth for so many different applicants that come through. So try and keep it to one one page. Um, and, 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 a, and not, you know, a font of nine as well. Preferably, yes. Yep. You don't want to have to put your glasses on to read it. Also, if, you, if you've got space within your cover letter, um, again, depending on what you're addressing and what they're requesting, give some examples of your expertise in reference to the position. So don't be too general about, I'm a good team player, but explain how you've worked well within a team if that's what they're asking for. Mm, agreed. And, and I've seen a lot of waffle in areas that have nothing to do with the skills that are relevant to that person as well. Yeah, also have someone else read your application. 
the grammar, spelling and punctuation still comes up a lot and it's a real turn off when you're application you're reading it. So it's essential that you read them, read it out yourself. Again, going back old school, read your application out loud to yourself, but also have someone else read it for you to mm. give you some tips. Often you can't see or the applicant can't see that there's a repetitiveness within uh, the application. So that should be looked at and made nice and concise. One yeah. page for us as well. Absolutely. And, and when you are getting someone to read it, someone who you know is going to be meticulous about it, not someone who's just going to skim over and just go, yeah, that's fine. No yes. problem. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and what about signing off the letter? Should you use yours sincerely or yours truly? I never really liked the yours truly one as it sounded like you were devoting <laughs> your life to someone. Although I guess when you're applying for a job, you probably are. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, again, I'd suggest, you know, sign off however you feel comfortable. But if you're not really sure, err on the side of being formal because it's very safe. Um, you know, the kind regards, yours sincerely. It's also nice before you sign off to thank the person or the recruiting team for taking the time to consider your application. It's just a nice touch to say, you know, thanks so much for your consideration or thank you for reviewing my application um, before finalising your letter. Yeah. Okay. I agree. A formal gratitude. Very nice. Yeah. So let's go on to the CV. What's something that someone can do to make their CV stand out amongst the others? So what kind of format are we kind of looking for? That's a tricky one, but I suppose my advice would be to rely on the content of your CV, not any fancy formatting. Uh-huh. And I, yeah, because I feel like sometimes that people try to make it look very fancy and sometimes it can actually be really difficult to find content. Like I've seen some even this week where they've kind of popped up and I'm like, this actually looks like a really good CV, but when you really delve into it, I'm just like, where's all the information that I want to try to find? Yep. And that just is extra work for a recruiter and not something that they're, they're going to look favorably on. Um, using different fonts, borders, colors, all those kind of things really dist- detract from your content. Uh, those aspects are obviously super important if you're applying for a job, you know, you're editing, I don't know, the local newspaper or something, yeah. um, but generally not so much if you're looking for a role in healthcare. Overall, I just say, keep it simple, easy to read. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And utilising all the resources available. So a lot of universities have got um, a resource area that they're able to get advice on that. I know particularly at the Children's, we have our employee assistance program that provides provision and assistance in CV writing as well as interview skills, which I know a lot of staff don't know about. So, Mm. you know, even if the students are within the organisation, they're able to um, actually access that as well. That's really good to know. Yeah. So most universities take the time to provide an information day. I know our nurses certainly get that, uh, where they have an idea of how to apply CV writing and interviews. So make the effort to go to those because they can be a wealth of knowledge. Attend them. You'll always take something from this. Take a look at your CV from your mentors to see what stands out for them. And, you know, for the mentors that you that you work along with, what, what are they looking for in a candidate as well is mm-hmm. always good advice. We recently had a career cafe here at the Children's for our nursing Oh, that sounds staff. nice. What's that? Yeah, look, it was a, it was a great initiative where staff and particularly our nurses that were thinking about career progression could go and learn a little bit about research, nursing development, management, but also we had um, a site there for CV and interview support. So they were able to bring in their CV so we could look over it. And they even brought some position descriptions that we were able to look over and kind of consider, okay, this is really important to include oh, in a CV. Oh, that's a great idea. So much more of an informal way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah. So if they do have a mentor, ask them that as well. Utilise the resources is really important. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's a good, good resource to tap into. When you're thinking about personal information, obviously you want some information so you know how to contact the person that's sent you the application. What other personal information can you put in there? 
Um, exactly as you say, contact information is the most important. It's really also important to be aware that you actually don't need to disclose any specific personal information. Um, so you don't need to tell them your date of birth. You don't need to tell them your home address if you're not comfortable in doing that. Um, your name, email and phone number really covers everything. But if you do choose to withhold any information, as I said, the bare basics is your name, your email and your phone number, and just make sure that that's really easily identifiable, both in your cover letter and your CV. Because throughout the recruitment process, those two documents may well get separated depending on how they shortlist, and you just want to make sure that they know how to find you. And if you feel comfortable including a photo, go for it. I would suggest only include a photo if it's requested, but again, a bit more of a personal preference. Yeah, I must admit, I do like a photo being included, particularly when I'm trying to sort through 100 plus applications and I'm only going to interview 60 or 50 or whatever of, of them. So it's really nice to know that the first interviewee that you get, you can still remember them when you get to the 60th one, because sometimes it can actually be a bit hard to kind of remember them as well. Uh, and what about the content of the CV, Claudia? What should be in there? Look, just going back to the photo, I really like the photo. Um, it helps me to remember and think, kind of, a, you know, link it in with the CV. I like to see the person's face and also remembers. I remember them when, if they do end up coming in for an interview, um, I can, you know, it helps me remember what the CV looked like or certain parts of that CV that might have st stood out, whether that's virtually or online. I, I would say, look, a work history is absolutely relevant for the position you're applying for. And think about what you really sell for the position that you're applying for. And I know, I know that's quite funny, but it does happen. I mean, you know, we don't need to know that. That's great that you have had work experience, but is it relevant to what you're applying for? Probably not. And realistically, that could end up being like a six to eight page resume. Yeah. So. Someone, someone in one that I read this week had mentioned what primary school they went to. Yes. And I thought, I don't really need to know that. It's going back a bit far, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Although for them it was probably only five years ago, but anyway. True, showing my age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people have generic CVs that they use and then they just might update their most current position and, and send it off. I would suggest to people to really tailor your CV for every job application that you submit because you really want to be selling the most relevant skills and expertise that you've got for that particular position. I'd also suggest a summary or a career objective on, in your CV as well. So this is a really interesting part of the CV because for me, I'm not actually terribly interested in the career objective. For me, a career objective is someone who, if, particularly if it's a student one, because that's the ones that I tend to, to review a lot more of, is the career objective for them is I want to graduate, I want to get a job. Yep. And what, what goes on beyond that is doesn't matter to me because they, they just need their bread and butter stuff to begin with, right? Yep. I don't really understand the purpose of the career objective. So what's your take on that? Well, I've... I've only recently in the past couple of years come around to agreeing that this is something that can be useful on a CV. I was very against it because um, I read very, very generic ones for a long, long time. And I think I did that because I was reading the CVs of people who were at a particular point in their training or looking to get into a training program. And as you say, they all had exactly the same objective. And when they were being honest, I read exactly the same thing, you know, 150 times over every year. Mm. Um, so this is perhaps a, a bit of a niche idea for depending on where you're at in your career. And perhaps if you have gone through whatever the training phase might be and you're looking to get into a specialty or you're looking to get some particular rural experience or something different or work in research, um, then I'd suggest that you put something in there. I really think it helps people get a little bit of an understanding of your values and your intentions um, and how you might be progressing through that particular career path. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I can kind of see it from that perspective, I guess. Mm. I think for me, it was more just that Sometimes I was finding that I was getting career objectives where they had just taken a snippet from their CV, sorry, from their cover letter and yep. put it straight into the CV. And I was just like, well, it doesn't, like I've already read that, that, yeah, that paragraph or whatever. It's just not going to have any value at all. 
I think if you are going to do a career objective, you've just got to make sure that it's done well. Like if you're going to bother doing it, yep. just make sure it's done well and make sure it is going to be relevant, just like you have suggested as yep. well. I yep. think. Relevant and genuine. Yeah. So what else should be included then? Um, your education and your academic achievements. Yep. So what kind of academic achievements are we talking about? Again, tailor this for the job that you're going for. You know, if you were year seven class captain, it's probably not super relevant, (laughs) but if you're going for a leadership job and you want to give examples of how you've been in leadership for a very long time, perhaps it might be. So have a little bit of a think about what you've achieved and again, what the link's going to be to the particular role that you're applying for. Mm -hmm. Um, Employment history is super important, starting with your most recent role. So they know where you are right at this point in time and they can look back. They might not want to look back too far, as we said before, it might not be super relevant of whatever your job was after school, you know, in year nine. But again, if you're at high school full-time and you're working part-time, perhaps that also shows some initiative and that you're proactive and that you're a bit of a go-getter. So have a bit of a think about how it aligns with the role. Mm -hmm. Um, Professional development, your memberships, any kind of activity you're doing in that space is also important. If you feel it's relevant to the role, have a bit of a think about including things like research, again, only if it's relevant leadership positions, community involvement, any volunteering activity, um, and perhaps some of your interests as well, although that can be controversial. Yeah. yeah. But please put your interest in it. It won't be damaging to your application. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to say that you're an Instagram inf- influencer or something like that, right? <laughs> but you also want to put things in that you don't mind the recruiter knowing as well, because it can actually make good for icebreaking kind of conversation when you're actually having your interview as well. Can some of the interests be useful in an application, do you think? Yeah, I, I think so because I think it helps provide a really overall um, holistic view of, of that person, not just kind of words on a piece of paper. It's really important for hiring managers to find a good fit for their team. And if they can learn a little bit more about your personality from your CV, it will really help. I'll give an example of something that I read recently on a CV where, um, oh, actually it was last year, a candidate had put that uh, interests uh, AFL football, they're a long-suffering Carlton supporter, which shows that they demonstrate resilience. Um, and, it, yeah, I, I laughed and I loved it and it stuck with me as a great example. So, Oh, fantastic. Look, I, I really love the community involvement, particularly, um, and even, the you know, the volunteering and soccer coach managing an interest group is really important for our organisation in particular when they're managing and they're caring, looking out for other kids, particularly adolescents. Yeah. It means that they already have that rapport build those rapport building skills. So, you know, from a nursing perspective, we actually look at that that kind of thing. The volunteering, a lot of our volunteers, it means that they've already been uh, close to and had lots of contact with a range of people. Um, so they've got those communications and people skills. So that's important to us as well. Yeah, it's like the ones that really, like particularly here, it's the ones that really thrive on things like empathy and stuff like that, that we that we tend to kind of look at a lot more, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can I just say also, um, I, I do remember interviewing one particular individual who, after discussing things, and we asked, you know, what are you doing at the moment? It doesn't seem to, your CV doesn't reflect that you're, you're doing any part-time work. And she was working as a um, phone call on, on phones in Centrelink. And we said, can you tell me why you didn't um, in, include that? And she mm. said, I didn't think it was relevant. We, we actually told her that was so relevant because she was yep. re- dealing with conflict all the time and yeah. added so much value um, and strength to her CV to consider putting that in, you know, in the future. So consider what is it that I'm doing and how will it help this application? Is there some benefit to it? Because there's absolutely quite a lot of benefit in dealing with complaints, quite a lot on the phone and, you know, the constant communication. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of angry people from Centrelink as well. Yeah, so. and also getting them <laughs> to understand. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also think that the order of the content is very important too, that you put in your CV. So for example, you, you don't want to start the CV with just your interests. 
you should start with more kind of relevant content like you know, education or something like that. How much info should someone include when it comes to employment history? Do they just put down the place of employment or should they include every detail about their job? Yeah, again, um, it's a little bit of a tricky one depending on what kind of area you're working in. So, for example, for junior doctors, it's really relevant for the recruiter to know previous job title that they had, for example, were they an intern, a resident, a registrar, because mm. that tells you about their level of experience. Um, the location, so which health services they are at. Again, if they're in a rural health service versus a metro health service, you know they're going to get a different experience. The duration, uh, was it 12 months, six months? Was it full-time, part-time? Because again, that just gives you an idea of how much exposure they've had in that particular department at that particular location for that period of time. And if it was part-time, why was it part-time? To an, to an extent. <laughs> potentially, potentially, because they might be looking for part-time ongoing and depending on what you're, you're chatting to them about for their mm. potential future employment. Yeah, yep. yeah certainly. Um, I'd have a think about how, cons- how relevant the details of each job you've held actually is for the recruiter. So, for example, when I was managing the medical workforce unit, um, I would have that on my CV because that's the title of the job. But when I was chatting with people about what I did for work, medical workforce unit didn't mean much to anyone who was outside of health. So if by chance I would have decided to apply for a job outside of health, I really would have had to done a big sell on what that job was all about. Mm. So have a think about how transferable that information is to other people. If you're staying in health, then obviously very transferable and you might not have to write too much more about it. But if you're looking outside of the scope that you've been working in, you might just want to explain a little bit more um, and just give a little bit more detail so that people understand exactly what that job's about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You need to highlight uh, what you're capable of within that initial description. For example, if you're working in a GP clinic, that can mean a range of things that you solely just did administration through there or that you were involved in perhaps wound um, cleansing, that you were involved in triaging, that you were involved in taking observations and perhaps some education. So, you know, those are pretty vast, um, I guess, comparisons. But giving an idea of what they did for that role provides us with so much more detail about what they're capable of. Yeah. And it's a tough one because you don't want to put too much detail into the employment history, but you don't want to appear to just skim over it as well. Yeah. And often that's maybe a line or two of, you know, a description, not so much a paragraph or half a page. Yeah. Consider again, is this relevant to what I'm applying for? Yeah. Now, one thing I look for in a CV is continuity of employment or even just a timeline continuity. So if there's kind of gaps in employment or a gap between graduation and employment or even a gap in the education, I'd usually like to know why. I agree. And I think if you've had a break from the workforce, include that in the chronology of your employment history, if you feel comfortable. Um, And I say that because I've read lots of examples of people taking time away from work. And some of them have been to the extent of needing to care for a parent or a spouse that has a terminal illness. Um, We've had some people win scholarships and um, head off uh, overseas to study. We've had other people who've taken 12 months off to take their two young kids um, in the caravan around Australia with their partner as well. So mm. there's a whole variety of reasons. But again, I think it's uh, important for recruiters to understand that people have a life outside of their work and it does help paint the picture of that particular person. And perhaps something like travelling around Australia with your two kids and partner for 12 months, again, shows resilience and a whole lot of other skills that might be very transferable to whatever job you're That's applying exactly for. Right. The chronological order is really important. And I know it's something that rather basic, but it's missed on so many applications and it doesn't give, you know, a journey of what the employment history has been. So I think that's another really good tip to remember. For me, that might actually even be a deal breaker when I'm deciding to interview someone. If I see that someone's got a two-year gap between 
are studying or even during their study or whatever, and there's just nothing in the CV at all, I'm usually just like, mm, something's going on here. There's something that they don't want me to know about it as well. What we really want to know is whether they're, you know, just sit, sitting around at home doing nothing constructive for 12 months. On to the last part of the CV, and that's references. It's a very important part of the CV. Check the advertisement and see if they're asking for anything specific regarding references. So again, as an example for the junior residents here at RCH, um, the recruiting team are looking for two consultants plus one senior nurse or nurse unit manager. So they're very specific about who they want to hear from. So have a look and see if that's specific for the role that you're looking to apply for. If nothing is mentioned, um, my suggestion would be you don't need to include reference detail in your CV. So you don't need to give them names and numbers of managers and, and people that you've worked with before. Wait until you know you're through the shortlisting process. Wait until you know they're interested in meeting with you for interview. And you can discuss that at interview. You can say, how many people would you like to talk to? What kind of, you know, would you like the person that I reported to? Would you like the person above them? You mm. can actually ask the question. It can be difficult to ask people to be a reference depending on what your current work status is, um, why you might be choosing to move on from where you're at. So don't do it unless you're at a point within that recruitment process where you're comfortable that you're clearly a preferred applicant or you're doing well and you're happy to have that conversation. Yeah, it's a really good point because sometimes you don't want they, you don't want your current employer to know that you're actually applying for the position in the first place. Mm. I do admit, though, I do like to see references and sometimes actually use that as a bit of an indication as to how someone may have actually gone in a previous job anyway. So, for example, if you've been working at a site for a considerable amount of time and it's a, a fairly reputable site and you don't have a reference from that site, I'd usually like to think, well, why is that? Why don't they have a reference from that site? Is there something happened that they didn't want to get a, ref a referee from there or they couldn't get a referee from there? Or in the case of medical imaging, if you've got a reference from someone who's like a grade one or two radiographer, whereas you know that there are a bunch of grade three, four and five radiographers around, that could actually ring alarm bells. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's why I think it's a good conversation to have at interview stage so that you as an applicant can also ask the question about who they want to hear from, why they want to hear from that person. And perhaps you're leaving a, a toxic workplace and you don't feel comfortable including your manager. And you, it might be the time and space to have a bit of an honest conversation about that. Mm. But again, you know, very personal. Um, in your CV, I just suggest you include a line stating that references will be available upon request. Yep. Yep. How long should the CV be overall? My suggestion would be a maximum of four pages. You don't want it to be too long, but you also don't want a one pager. I have received a one pager CV before that had written at the bottom, please refer to my LinkedIn profile. For more details. Oh, I said, no, yeah. thank you. You should be telling me all about yourself. I shouldn't have to look yeah. for that. <laughs> but again, as Claudia was saying earlier, once you've finished your CV, ask a trusted friend to proofread it. Um, let them have a look through your cover letter and your CV. It can be very vulnerable, put you in a very vulnerable position reading your, your, um, you know, your personal CV and your cover letter, but it's well worth it. They'll help see things that you might not have seen, pick up grammatical errors um, and just anything else that they might be able to suggest for you too. Just one more thing. So I think yeah. it's really important to ensure that your refer referees will be available upon request. Like I, I know often a lot of our nurses ask people that they've, you know, they've used in the work with in the past, but they're about to go on maternity leave, for instance, so they're not all av available. So that, you know, detrimental to their own um, ability to apply and the whole application process if we can't get a hold of them. So ensure that they are going to be available and just make sure you recheck their um, contact details. Good thinking. And, and to be honest, I also think to remind your referees that you have just applied for a new position so that they know to expect one. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. So recently I've heard, and I have actually seen some applicants add a video of themselves to their application. So they've got a link on their CV and just says, click on this link. And it's gone to like this Vimeo link uh, of a um, of a video of themselves. It is a very, very bold move for sure. And probably really only works in the more confident applicants. So like your extroverts. I did like it. I really did because it actually gave me a really good sense of the communicability of the applicant before I even went to interview them. And I ended up interviewing them as a result of that video actually being there. What about you guys? What do you think? Um, it, look, it definitely demonstrates a lot of confidence. It's not something that I have come across yet. But, you know, to give you a bit of context, a lot of our graduate nurses through PMCV have done their own video recording. So with with questions and, and that's similar, um, but no, nowhere to this extent. So, you know, congratulations on the confidence that you've uh, displayed there, but not something I've come across <laughs> yet. And I don't know whether I'd be comfortable doing that either. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> no, no, thanks. <laughs> when is the optimum time to submit? Does it actually matter? It shouldn't matter, but you just never know what might happen. So I would say do not leave the submission of your application to the last minute. You don't know if your internet's going to, you know, Log you, log you out. You don't know if the recruitment site's being overwhelmed with a thousand other people applying at the same time. Just don't leave it to the last minute. If you've got it ready to rock, it looks good. Thanks a lot, Abby and Claudia, for giving us such a great insight into what the expectations are about the application process. Do you have any last minute tips for our listeners? My tip would just be what I said earlier. Read the job advertisement and the position description, reread it and read it a third time before even starting on your application. Just make sure you're, you're responding and applying to everything that they're asking for. Yeah. Claudia? Uh, review what you're submitting. Lately, there have been two documents that, that have been submitted, like twice. Um, and for instance, an academic transcript that wasn't submitted. So it wasn't reviewed before they submitted it. So mm. make sure that you've reviewed all your documents and go again, cross-check cross all the requirements. Um, the other big tip I've got is make sure that it's an appropriate PDF Okay. The lack of professionalism in taking a photo and submitting a photo just lacks professionalism. So ensure that you are using a proper app um, or a proper a formatting tool to make sure it's a, it's a good, well-read PDF. I've seen some applicants use Snapchat photos oh, no. as their photos for their, on their application. <laughs> this is the generation, those things I are know, changing. You know. Know. Talking about using yeah any type of photo and things like that, it's... Yeah, things are changing. I was just going to add as well as a, as a last point is just be very, very careful when cutting and pasting as well. And I think that kind of resonates with the the take-home tips from all three of us have been about reviewing your application <laughs> afterwards and that just don't screw it up. Thanks a lot, guys, for going through this with us. I'm sure there are a lot of people very happy to be getting this information about now, but at the same time, there's also a lot of people thinking, if only I knew about this podcast last week when I was submitting the application. <laughs> It's never too late. No, that's right. Either way, some very valuable information in there. And in a future episode coming up, we're going to be discussing the next level of the application process, and that's the dreaded job interview. Thanks again, guys. Great chatting with you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.